I'm Alexander Price, and you're listening to Machine Elf Radio. For this week's episode, I spoke with Thomas Shelton, the past master of Fort Worth Masonic Lodge Number 148 in Fort Worth, Texas, about racism and diversity in Texas Freemasonry. I first came in contact with Masonic Lodge 148 in Fort Worth when I was uh, staying with my uh, family in in Fort Worth for for a while, and uh, I was interested in following up on um, a long interest in being initiated into Freemasonry. I guess this was partly motivated by the kinds of stories that you would read on the internet or in um, literature about masonry and all these conspiracy theories uh, which uh, uh, work both for them and against them. You know, there's uh, um, on one hand an aura of secrecy and uh, conspiracy, but on the other hand there's the esotericism and even a sort of magic power associated with the lodges so you know i was just trying to figure out you know you you can get so far reading books and uh looking for information online but when it really comes down to it you just have to go and meet people and see what's really going on so that's kind of what i had in mind and what i found was you know pretty much i think what you would expect if you just do a google image search for uh, you know, Masonic gatherings. I found a lot of, uh, you know, mostly old men sitting around eating fried chicken. I didn't see anything remotely resembling, like, behind doors meetings with Mr. Burns, like, for how we're going to ru- rule the world or anything remotely to that effect. But but I also, you know, could perceive just being in, in rural Texas, like, um, I was born in Houston, and I, my family, we lived there until I was about 15, but, you know, I've been gone for a long time. I've spent most of my life in, in Manhattan, or at least in big cities, and uh, Fort Worth, when I go back, like, I can feel, I can perceive a really wide cultural gap sometimes, which was, uh, you know, apparent here when I was coming in, you know, I had all these facial piercings, and, uh, you know, I'm myself a little bit flamboyant, and I have all these tattoos, and, uh, you know, these are just uh, a lot of, uh, you know, rural Texas guys in their 60s, and um, my experience of it was that nobody was ever, nobody ever made me feel unwelcome, nobody ever made me feel like I was out of place, I felt very welcome, and I guess I also didn't really understand that there was a lot of drama going on that I wasn't aware of surrounding, you know, issues of diversity in Texas Freemasonry. And so uh, I guess what what led to this um, this episode happening was just a comment that, uh, that Thomas made. He gave a lecture one day near the end of uh, my time that I spent with these guys. I think I was in Fort Worth for, you know, maybe a year at this point. And he, he made this comment about, like, being inclusive and how important it is to this lodge to, uh, to to be a welcoming space for anybody. And then he says something like, no matter who you are, I don't care if you're, uh, you know, white or black, if you're Mexican, if you're gay, you know, none of that matters to me. And it was, you know, all of us, I guess, kind of chuckled a little uncomfortably because it was kind of like a big, uh, an elephant in the room. I might, I don't know, I might have had blue hair at the time or something, and then you had other guys coming in, you know, and they're cowboys, and they're, like, taking off their uh, cowboy hats when they show up, and they're like, uh, excuse me, sir, could you direct me towards the hat rack? And I'm like, 
that's just like so alien to me that you would go into a building and just assume there was a hat rack I like you know but so so you know it was, <laughs> we all we all kind of like uh uh chuckled at, at this acknowledgement of uh how much diversity there was in the room i guess uh so uh so it turns out that there was a, a there was actually quite a story behind that, and so that's what I uh, brought Tom on this week to talk to us about. It's the it's the first interview I've done for the show, so we had like some technical problems and had to go start over at one point, and and Tom will will refer to that fact in in the interview a couple times. Um, but we finally got all the all the the uh, problems worked out. So here he is in his own words, Tom Shelton past master of Fort Worth Masonic Lodge number 148 in Fort Worth, Texas. Okay, yeah, I joined uh, Fort Worth Lodge back in, uh, I think, 2006, somewhere in there. Um, got in there, and it was, uh, when, I, when I first joined, it was, I don't want to say we had six, seven people tops that would show up to the meetings, and they were, almost all of them were, you know, 60-plus years old. It was on its way out. I mean, they, they weren't bringing any, any real new members in, brought in myself and a friend of mine at the same time. And that was, that was a big deal. Uh, got in there as soon as I joined, like a couple of weeks later, I left for deployment. So I was gone for about six months. Where just so you? happened. Where were you? And I was at that, that deployment was Kyrgyzstan. Yeah. And I got, got lucky. I had a, one of the, one of the guys I deployed with my team leader, he was a district deputy over in the Dallas area and he, he, he was a real good guy and I worked with him every day on uh, doing the memory work and all that. And when I got back, I sat there and did all the memory work for all three degrees back to back. And then once I got that done, uh, the next year rolled around and, uh, found myself in one of the officer chairs and just went through those. And then like four years, I was master of the lodge mm-hmm. and say, I met you. I was, think I was one of the uh, wardens, right on, which is right under the master. Uh, so, yeah, I was heavily involved with it from the time I got back from my deployment until the time I'd, I moved up here in very beginning of 2012. Out of Texas. Yes. And then haven't really, haven't really touched it since then. So what kind of diversity issues was... Uh Texas masonry experiencing when you first for the most part, and for the most part every kind of diversity issue I mean they didn't I mean a lot of the and it's not so much the organization it's the people in it you know you get a lot of these you get a lot of the the older the older generations you know like I said these guys were almost all of them were 60 and above and you know they have their mindset that they have and they're not gonna they're not gonna adapt and in a nutshell, that was the issue. You know, a lot of these guys were not going to deal with. Uh, well, they we had a the first time we had an issue bringing somebody in that was going to lead to diversity was a good friend of mine wanted to bring his brother in, and they're uh, they're Mexican. And my friend got in, and then once they figured out that you know, okay, he's not white, and we tried to get his brother in, they saw on the paperwork that it was his brother and. He got he got blackballed, and what, it was. What does it What does it mean to get blackballed? Uh, it means well, the term that you hear, you know, the common usage of the term comes from masonry. You know, when you when you vote to let people in, it's a secret ballot which is done by black 
black and white marbles in a secret ballot box and you reach in there and you pick up which if you want to vote yes for somebody you put the white ball in there if you want to vote no you put a black one in there okay so that's what happened yep and all it takes three three black balls to reject somebody um let's say there's a hundred people in the room it just takes three black balls it just takes three okay back in the day it only used to take one Okay. But they were having some the same thing with some of these older guys. They were having problems where they just didn't they didn't like anybody. So one guy would not one guy could effectively kill a lodge at that point because he didn't want anybody coming in and everybody that that applied would get rejected. So back years ago they changed it to three. The problem we were having was we would have twenty twenty three people sitting in the lodge and I would go to count what was in the box and we would have 25 marbles in the in the ballot so it, it, it a lot of times it's one guy picking up three black marbles and throwing them in there okay and that i mean when you're dealing with people like that yeah you know it's it's hard to win so this guy had uh was bringing in his brother yeah and he he got rejected and then we found out that that was the reason why is because we have enough Mexicans in the lodge. That's what I, that's, you know, what came back around to us. And it's like, wow. Okay. Really? So we found another lodge down the road. He waited his year until he had been, uh, till his, uh, time that he, he had to wait before he could reapply. And he went and reapplied at this other lodge, another, another one, a lot of, a lot of old guys. And it was on, you know, on it's, it was dying and they saw what we were doing at the Fort Worth Lodge and said, hey, you guys can come bring in whoever you want over here. We, you know, we want to grow. We want to survive. So what, what exactly were you doing that they saw? Um, bringing in a lot of young members. Okay. Diversifying, doing everything that we needed to do to thrive while most lodges are struggling to pay bills and bringing in almost nobody. So they... They said, yeah, you guys can come over here. We'll get out of the way. You guys can take the officer chairs and, you know, you do what you got to do. And so we, we got pretty lucky with that one. So we started flooding them with members. I mean, we they went from having, you know, six, seven people at the meetings to having, you know, 20-something, 30, you know, within a few months. And so whenever we would get, you know, a black guy, you know, Latino or you know, even even homosexual guys, you know, we would okay, well would probably be better off trying to get you in over here. And then once you once you join, I mean we have we have the plural membership in Texas where you can join as many lodges in the state as you want. You just have to pay the dues to each one. So that's what we would do. We would get them in over there, get through all their degrees, and then once they had gotten their third degree, you're able to join other lodges and then we would have them apply for dual membership and that's that's in the end how we how we won. We bring everybody in somewhere else once they got their third degree. It's a different it's a different kind of vote. It's a whole different situation. At that point, you're just you're coming in as a full member. So a lot of the a lot of the other stuff doesn't doesn't play into it. So we would have all these guys coming through other lodges and then we would just bring them over as a dual member. And so uh you know, did you what kind of experiences of pushback or, or uh, you know negative reactions did you experience of you know some of those older men trying not wanting to see these changes happening? Well, we had one who was a former district deputy, 
he uh, he sat there and point blank told us in a stated meeting that he would never sit and lodge with the nigger. He told us that right there, plain as day. And we, at that point, you know, we had been going to the Grand Lodge complaining about, hey, we're having these issues. We need help. And uh, they said they would send somebody to investigate. So they sent one of their district officers to come and come to a few of our meetings and sit there and see what was happening. And he was sitting right there when he heard it. And, I mean, his jaw hit the floor. I mean, he couldn't believe it. And he told us afterwards, I'm going to make a report on this. I'm going to say exactly what happened. I don't think the Grand Lodge knows what you guys are really dealing with here. And, I mean, and it sounded great. It's like, finally, finally, after, you know, three, four years, we're, we're going to get some help here. And he went and filed his report. Nothing happened. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, a lot of the people in the Fort Worth district, which, I mean, it's I think, I forget what it was, maybe 30 lodges in the Fort Worth area. You know, a lot of these guys knew what we were dealing with. And uh, that's, you know, when we started really getting a lot of attention, we put together a really good degree team. We would get invitations every couple of weeks to go do degrees at somebody else's lodge. I mean, we were really doing well. I was getting invitations to go speak at other lodges, you know, to let them know, hey, you want to grow, you want to build. These are the things you have to do. And and I would I would do that every at least every couple of weeks. I would get in, I would have a speaking engagement somewhere. I mean, what we were doing was really people were really looking at it, and a lot of people were picking up the things we were doing. And some of the other lodges that we had associated with, they were starting to grow as well as a result of doing some of the things we were doing. So, I mean, it's it's a, it's something that what we were doing, we knew worked. You know, we didn't just see it in our own lodge. We saw it everywhere we touched. And it sounds like, you know, one of the big goals was to grow the lodge and to increase the membership. And I'm just curious, like, did you see um, what you were doing as a sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, activism or did you did you feel like you know you had um a point that you you know something along those lines that you were trying to uh uh, make changes uh you know for uh, personal reasons or it didn't start out that way it started out you know me going going by what i was taught you know in the in the ritual work in the in the stu- in the memory work in masonry, I was I was going by that. You know, you judge a man by his internal qualifications, not his external. You know, and that to me means you know skin color, you know, social status. Those things don't matter. All that matters is who the person is inside. And it's it's it, I mean it's plain as day right there. It's one of the first things you get taught. And then to find out that we're rejecting candidates and not allowing people in strictly because of these things, you know, it's like okay, this is wrong. Why are we cheating ourselves out of growth and diversity by following something that's clearly wrong? And to me, it just started out as we need to fix what's going on in here to ensure the long-term growth and success of this lodge. Uh-huh. And from there, after dealing with it on so many different levels, yeah, then it did kind of turn into activism. You know, I mean, it went from being, okay, well, I got to fix this here to, man, this is this is bigger than here. You know, this problem goes all the way to the top. And then you see some of the problems a lot of the other states are having, particularly in the South. They're dealing with the same racism stuff. And, I mean, it's all – and you see you see these lodges shutting their doors because they can't bring members in. And, it's you know, you would really rather shut your doors than invite diversity. And it's it's sad. And so you, you – uh, about the process of being admitted, there's more to it than just the uh, uh, the balloting. There's also interviews that happen. 
yeah, the master, when, when somebody petitions to join, you take their membership paperwork and well, to even be considered, you have to have three master masons sign off on your petition saying, I recommend this guy. Right. So you get that petition, you read it out loud in a meeting, and then you appoint a three-man investigation committee to go and, go and visit this person, talk to them, ask them the questions on the form, and then just get a general feel for how they feel about this guy. And at the next meeting, these, the three investigators will bring the paperwork back, all filled out with their recommendation, yes or no. And usually if you have three yeses, it's not an issue. If you get one no, that's usually a, a rejection. And so what I would have to do once I figured out what was really going on, I would just be careful. If I knew who the guy, if I knew it was a black guy that was trying to join, I knew which three guys I would send to investigate him. You know, you don't send a lot of these, these older guys to do those investigations when you know as soon as they see that, they're not even going to go into the house. They're just going to check no and leave. So it's a very subjective process, too. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, you know, we're saying earlier, you know, it's that moral turpitude clause. And, you know, it's, there's a lot of things that play into it. And it really, it's really just about how the investigator feels about the person that's trying to get in. Okay. And it's really, it's just strictly up to them. They can say no for whatever reason they want to come up with. And then as the master of the lodge, you know, it's kind of your responsibility to not send those guys out on investigations if you know they're going to, they're going to, decline somebody based off of something you know crazy and so uh you were appealing to some of the uh you know collective authorities for assistance and and what was yeah. that experience like did they help you oh, that was a beating uh, when i first went down there to the grand lodge to talk to him about what we were dealing with the reply i got was we know y'all are having problems you know and, and they they made it look like we were the bad guys because we were having the problems. And it's like, we know what our problem is. We just need help dealing with this issue. And they really right off the bat. I mean, they really weren't too big on trying to help us out. They really didn't want to be bothered. And then the more, the more the problem persisted and the more I stayed on them to help us out, it got to the point to where they didn't even want to see us anymore. So no, we, we got, we got virtually no help from them. And then you, you find out that some of those guys in that office up there feel pretty much the same way as the guys you're having problems with. It's like, why are we even talking to these guys to begin with? And that's, that's once that, once we had that realization, the focus shifted from trying to get help to how do we take care of this ourselves? And how did you take care of it yourself? A lot of it, like I was saying, uh, finding another lodge to put run people through that we knew would not get into ours. I see. Uh, being selective with our investigation committee, not sending these guys out, even though they're, they're volunteering, don't send them out if you know that's what they're going to do. You know, just dealing with things that way. And so the leadership of each individual lodge, it changes every year. Is that the case? Yes. Yes. And so did you think things continued improving or, you know, since then, do you have any uh, contact with them? You've, you've since moved on, I think, to moved out of, out of Texas and so on. Yeah, I think I, I think I was out. Um, I think after I left the master position, I think I, I, I was stayed in the area for maybe another year and then I left. Um, I know it's all it's. They're doing okay, but they're nowhere near where it was, you know, because a, a lot of us left at the same time. You know, we all got fed up with it and we were, we, there's about 
five of us, five of us that were really critical to making all this stuff happen. We all got tired of it. We all left at the same time. So it took, it, it definitely took a step back. Mm. And do you think now the, the... We had, by that, by the time we left, we had already pretty much eliminated the problems. So, I mean, we, we definitely left it in a better position than we found it. Mm-hmm. And were there people of color be, becoming involved actively and did they stick yes. around? They did. Yes. Yep. Yeah, we, I think the, we integrated three or four lodges in Tarrant County. Yeah, three or four. So, yeah, I mean, we, we definitely left our mark before we, before we got out of it. And I remember, if I remember correctly, there's a, a, a separate kind of masonry that's uh, it, Prince. Is it Prince Hall masonry? Yeah. That's uh, yep. uh, what, what? What is that? It's uh, basically, it, you know, it comes from the separate but equal days. It's the black counterpart to, you know, white masonry. It's, and I mean, they're you hear a lot of argument. Well, they're irregular. They're not legitimate, but they are. I mean, they got their charter from the Grand Lodge of England, just like. I mean, just like everybody else. I mean, they're they're the real deal. Uh-huh. And, and I, I had a lot of interaction with them as well. We would go out to some of their barbecues and things like their fundraisers, and we we had a real good relationship with them. And that that made a lot of people mad, because you know, well, you, they're they're irregular. You're not supposed to associate with them. And we could not go and sit in their lodges. We could not go to their official lodge functions. But events like their barbecue fundraisers that were open to the public, we could go to and we did. And then they would come to ours. And that that turned a lot of heads. I mean, we and now now it's in Texas. You you can go and sit in the Prince Hall Lodge. They can come sit in your lodge. And we were instrumental in making that happen, breaking down that barrier. So, yeah, it we, sounds like in, in that situation, it sounds like it was not necessarily just an issue of uh, of race, but um Regularity, you know, if whether whether you know the, their relationship uh, with the uh, internal authority of whether you know it's a valid lineage, is that is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. There was there was that issue for people who wanted to believe that was an issue. I see. You know, if you, if you read the history, you know, you if, if you know what you're talking about, you know that's that's not that's not a valid issue to have. I mean, it, you know, they're regular, and it, you know, it's one of those things that. There's a lot of ignorance when it comes to masonry, especially in the people of authority. They're they're more concerned about titles and that kind of thing than they are about doing the work and doing what's right. And that's what you run into the bureaucracy of it. You know, it's the let's maintain the status quo, and you know I'm going for this position, and that's all I care about. And and that's what you run into. You get a you run into these guys that are in it for the politics, and they're not in it for what it's really about. So I guess I, I guess I'm still curious why there's a separate uh, Prince Hall Lodge. Um, is that uh, having separate masonry? You know, masonries for people of color is that um, problematic or or. Uh, um, no, I mean each each organization is autonomous. You know they yeah. they do their own thing and they each have their own. And, and, I, and I've run into this question a lot, having dealt with Prince Hall Masons quite a bit. Is well, why don't they just why don't they just join us? And it's like, well, there's you have a lot of differences. You know, there's a lot of cultural differences. They have their own history, and it's there's no reason to join. Sure, you know, I mean, why why would they do that when you have the problems we're having? dealing with these older guys. I mean, why would they want to even come into that? 
And it's one of those things that I understand the separation. It didn't, you know, and it's old. I mean, it's hundreds of years old, the separation between them. And they've got a lot of good traditions. The, the, it's fundamentally set up different as well as far as grandmasters' powers and things like that. I mean, there are a lot of key differences between them as organizations and how they're run. And there's really no reason for them to join. I mean, having the mutual recognition that they have in most places now, to me, is great. You know, you want to go, you know, as a white mason, I can go sit over there in one of their meetings and see what that's all about. And they can come visit. I mean, it's it's doing what it needs to do. What was the uh, history of the lodges in Texas about uh, when did they really start to become popular and when did they decline in popularity? Um, well, masonry in this country really started at the beginning of our country you know most of our founding fathers were masons american revolution was planned in a lodge uh and it just spread from there uh texas you go back into texas history it's a little bit different where you have uh the mexican government wanting to settle the texas area and allowing the european americans to come in you know but they could only be catholic and couldn't be masons i mean they had a lot of stipulations when they could join or for the immigrants coming to settle texas but well, some of them was course, brought to, uh, in the early 1800s okay i think it was stephen f austin and his 300 you know the families that came in to settle and then uh, a lot of the guys who's who were involved with the uh, texas revolution were masons the texas got its the the first i, I don't know how many 10 20 lodges in texas at that time, before Texas was even a country or a state, were uh, under the Grand Lodge of Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And so it's masonry in Texas is older than Texas as a country or a state. Mm-hmm. And then when Texas became its own country for oh, 10 years, then uh, and then became a state in what, 1845, you know, then they uh, de- joined, developed their own Grand Lodge and those lodges, those original 20 or so lodges that were under the Grand Lodge of Louisiana, you know, became Texas lodges. And then the lodge number changed from, you know, 200 and something to lodge number one, lodge number two, so on and so forth. And then they started springing up all over the state. And when was this? Fort Worth Lodge was, it was founded in the, say, 1850s. Yeah, I believe 1850s, and it, it was number 148 in the state. And so what what did the popularity look like, you know, from that point through World War II and then after? It, it grew steadily up until World War I to World War II, and then it, it just started growing massively. And it, it basically turned into a social club. Mm-hmm. You know, those guys coming back from the war were looking for that brotherhood they had in the war. And they, well, let's, you know, we'll join this. And then the, the numbers blew up to 240, 260,000, somewhere in there. And that was, it peaked in the 60s and has been declining ever since. It seems like there's, uh, you know, an overlap there between masonry and uh, the military that just yeah. like very subjectively I noticed, but it, uh, um, what? Why is that the case? Uh, a lot of times, you know, the Prince Hall, the Prince Hall Grand Lodges actually have lodges on a lot of military bases, especially overseas. Mm-hmm. So you get a lot of young guys who join 
those lodges overseas and then they come back and you know now they got to find a local lodge so it's masonry is present in the military and it's you know the brotherhood is there it's the i mean it's it it fits but how does it fit what is it about masonry that appeals to soldiers the brotherhood same same reason the numbers blew up after world war ii it's the brotherhood and, and so what is the role of brotherhood in masonry just you know as someone who doesn't know a lot about it what what would you say the relationship uh, is between masonry and brotherhood again it depends on the individual but to me it's like i've got some of the guys that you know i met and became friends with i'm now closer with than i am you know my biological brothers you know it's one of those things you get it you get people working together to achieve a common end and you know you form bonds and you're building something together and good things happen and it just to me that's that that's one of that was one of the best parts about it just the people i met and the relationships i still have with them it was a big learning experience for sure mm-hmm. you know cuz i was 20 something and running running a lodge seeing it grow you know and it was it was one of those experiences you don't really get anywhere else and it really opened my eyes as to the things i could accomplish if i if i really tried hard enough and I've taken a lot of what I learned from that experience and applied it in other places in my life and with similar results. And it's a, it's a very empowering organization to be a part of if you really open your eyes and let it do what it needs to do. You know, you surround yourself with good people. And to me, that's where the diversity issue comes from is you don't learn a whole lot by surrounding yourself with the same kind of person that you are. You know, you bring in people, the more diverse you can be, the more potential for growth, I believe. And if you're not in it for growth, I don't know why you would be in it to begin with. And so you felt, do you feel that there was a, um, a, a disconnect between this, the, the, the values that masonry, you know, teaches versus the way people were behaving? Yeah. I mean, the values are right there in black and white. I mean, you know what they are. And then when you see, well, can you with so many people around you acting counter to what's in there? Well, like the how you judge people, the internal, not the external. And you're worried about skin color as a disqualifying factor instead of that obviously being an external factor that shouldn't even be considered. See. You see simple things like that. And it's yeah OK. And in the brotherhood aspect, that's a key issue. And you have guys stabbing each other in the back. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And so it sounds like the admission like what we were talking about earlier about the the there's the interview and the votes and so what they're trying to establish is if i don't know if you're a good person if you're a moral person well that's ideally ideally that's what it's supposed to establish but realistically it turned with a lot of guys it turns into do i like this guy or not and that that's what it goes to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and again you know you you get people in there like that there's I mean, you just got to be careful about who you allow to do what. Sure, sure. Uh, but what what are the guidelines actually saying about like what is the purpose of uh, the interview and and what kind of people are you trying to admit to the lodge? And that's it's a little bit vague. Uh, it's really up to the discretion of the person doing the interview. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it calls for them to make a judgment call about somebody else. But but what I mean what are are there guidelines about what the interview what's the purpose supposed to be? Like what are you supposed to be judging the person on? The purpose of it is to find out if this is a and again it's 
vague terms. Mm -hmm. A good person, you know, a moral person, what do those things actually mean? And what you'll find out is they mean different things to different people. Yeah. You know, somebody can say, well, moral turpitude, okay, well, he's a homosexual, and I believe that's a sin, that's immoral, so reject it. Right. And then I can go investigate that same guy, obviously pick that up and be like, okay, I don't really care about that one way or the other. It's not my business. So he seems like a great guy, except. So, I mean, again, it depends on the individual and what their values are. Yeah. And, you know, it's like I was saying, you just got to be careful who you select for those committees. I want open-minded people that don't care about those kind of things. And that's what we wound up doing, and that's what worked for us. It's really interesting. Like, it just happened that I happened to be in Fort Worth, Texas at that moment that you were there and uh, interested <laughs> right. in getting involved, you know? And I feel like if it hadn't been exactly that place at exactly that time, I might have had a very different experience. You know? And that's, I mean, that's what a lot of people have told me, you know, because it's a lot of different people have said the same thing. You know, if what was going on in that lodge had not been going on at the time, I would have never got in. And it's like, okay, so that to me, that's that's something I can take back and say, yeah, that was worth it. You know, it was definitely worth it. And in having so many people, so much diversity come take interest at the same time that it had never happened there before. I mean, so many people of all kinds of backgrounds and, you know, races and I mean, so many different kinds of people come together at one in, in a period of like two or three years. I mean, it's it's unbelievable, really, to think about it. I mean, it can't be cannot be a coincidence just the sheer numbers of people but i mean we we did it we made it work yeah. still a lot of work to do but we'll let somebody else pick it up and go from there special thank you to thomas shelton for coming on to share his story with us this week you can subscribe to machine elf radio on itunes or stitcher or go to our website at elfradio.org to sign up for an email announcement when the new episode comes out each week Shiva, Shiva, Mahadeva.